0: Welcome to RUF. Uh, We want to be a place where uh, you can come and and hear the gospel, where you can uh, process the truth claims of Christianity uh, with your peers uh, and your friends and see what it would look like to to believe in Jesus. I know many of you do and follow him, but some of you don't, and we're so glad that you're here. And we want you to know that you are welcome uh, to come to anything and everything that we do. Um, I want to uh, pray for us before we get started, and I'm going to pray for. Um, there's a campus minister who who does Ruf out in uh, Carson Newman, which is a small uh, Baptist school in Tennessee, and his daughter Zoe, um, she. She had a burn, a boiling pot fell on her arm last week, burned her arm, and then through that got staph infection, all of these just terrible things. Um, And she's still in some ways battling for her life. And so um, I'd like to pray for her and her family um, and then for our time together as we look at God's Word. So please pray with me. Father, we we are reminded when we hear and think of uh, really hard and difficult things that we live in a world that is... That has fallen. That is, um, uh, has been affected in major ways by sin and its effects. It affects things like systems and injustices at large. It affects uh, our own lives and our hearts and uh, disordered desires and, and things that we love and want, which we know would lead to our destruction. Lord, and it affects things like that there are accidents and things that happen which are terrible. And so we lift up little Zoe right now, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, be the great physician, and that you would heal her body, even in a way that the the doctors and the nurses who are caring for her would look and say that there's no other explanation but that um, God must have healed her. And would you do that? Would you be with Cam and Kayla as they um, wrap their arms, uh, though not probably physically wrap their arms around her and love her and be with them in the days to come when there's much uh, difficulty in her rehab and, um, and caring for her for the long term? Lord, now uh, we pray that you would be with us as we look at your word um, Lord, if if your word is going to accomplish anything in our lives, it will be a work of your spirit. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what is true and right and good and beautiful. And that through this passage that we would see that what is offered in the gospel of Jesus is more than we're going to find anywhere else. For those in here tonight, Lord, who are under the weight of their own sin who are under the weight of the sin of others that has affected them in major ways, would you please come and attend to their hearts? Lord, for those who need to be convicted, I pray that you would bring conviction that leads to life. Lord, we all need different things. Please come and do and be that for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, as we uh, began looking at this passage, uh, we focused on kind of uh, the first part of this passage that we'll read in just a second. and In that first part, Jesus uh, is answering a question from the Pharisees who were religious leaders of his day. And they were coming to him saying, Jesus, uh, you know, tell us about divorce. Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife and all of this? And, And the custom of the day was that men could leave their wives for any number of reasons, over 600 reasons which had been codified in the Jewish law. And Jesus comes and says... Look, from the beginning, it was not supposed to be that way. That marriage was created as an institution between one man and one woman. It was supposed to be a lifelong commitment. And you shouldn't be floating in and out of marriage flippantly. It was meant to be permanent. But there is one way and one thing which allows for divorce, and he says that's sexual immorality. And so last week, we looked at what that word means. We looked at what sexual immorality is in marriage. We looked at what it is in uh, our lives or your lives uh, Most of you aren't married. Um, So what does that look like day to day for us and the ways we've been affected by that? But we also talked about how Jesus offers hope and grace and healing and the promise of a full and meaningful life, even for those of us who have been affected uh, by sexual brokenness in many ways, whether that's things that we've done or just the effects of it from the society around us. Jesus offers us hope and healing and a way forward. And what we're going to look at tonight is the response from the Pharisees. So Jesus says, look, yeah, marriage is a big deal. It needs to be taken seriously. Because sex and sex is a big deal, and it's to be taken seriously in marriage. And the Pharisees, as we look tonight, they respond to Jesus. And what they say, in many ways, I think, is, is kind of what many of us might feel. It's like, wow, that, that's a really tough teaching, Jesus. It's hard to receive that lifelong marriage, what if, you know, what if we fall out of love, is what we say in our day. Or what if you know, we, the kids leave the house after they go off to college and, and we decide that we're not that compatible. And the Pharisees are struggling with what Jesus says. And Jesus doesn't disagree with them. He said, yeah, marriage is, is difficult. But what he does in response is he elevates the place and the priority for a single and celibate lifestyle for the Christian. And he talks about that in three different ways that we're going to see in this passage. So let me read it for us, and then we'll jump right in. Beginning in Matthew 19, verse 1. Jesus says this. Sorry, it says this. And now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning male and f- created them male and female, and said, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Therefore, and God, they said to him, "Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away?" And he said to them, "...because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery." And the disciples said to him, "...if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry." But he said to them, "...not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those those to whom it is given." For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. says the word of the Lord. <clears throat> As we finish up tonight our little mini three-week series on God and our sexuality, uh, that's in the larger context of just talking about relationships in general. Um, we begin to come to this, uh, this last place for how, how the gospel affects our lives, and specifically tonight, the life of what this passage calls a eunuch. Now, let me kind of give a little bit of definition for that word because it might be confusing. A eunuch, uh, the Greek word there that is used for eunuch, is one of these two things. It is someone who has... Um, lost their genitalia or who has been castrated or something like that, and therefore is unable to have sex or to enter enter into sexual activity. But a eunuch can also be someone who is willingly choosing a life of not engaging in sexual activity. But the bottom common denominator there is that a eunuch is someone who is not engaged in sexual activity. So that's what that word means. Let me start with this illustration. A few weeks ago, um, I downloaded, like many of you, I'm sure, or actually, if you're smart, you probably didn't download the first version of the iOS update for your iPhone, but I did because I'm stupid, and I downloaded it, and with that new operating system, I downloaded Beelzebub. I downloaded a demon into my phone, and the reason I know that is because, I'm being facetious, you're like, wait, really? Um, The reason I know that is that I would open up my phone and, and you know unlock it, and no matter what app I went into, it's as if someone came and took over my phone, and they're like moving it around and they're typing text messages. So if you got a weird text message for me, it wasn't me. Um, like just doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and it it paralyzed my user experience. Um, that's the dorkiest thing I'll ever say, uh, but uh, it it rendered it. I couldn't do anything. It useless. And the more I thought about that, and the more that I was thinking about our sexuality and how the gospel impacts this, here's what I realized and thought about. Is that for some of you who would consider yourself Christians, and for those of you who don't, let me explain Christianity this way. Christianity is not like an app that we download and access from time to time when it's beneficial to us, when it may help us or may make us feel better if we want like a little spiritual shot in the arm or something. Christianity and submitting yourself to Jesus and following Jesus as King and Lord is like downloading a new operating system. It is the structure, it is the form and the function out of which everything else in your life flows, including your sexuality. Christianity is the overarching thing that defines and dictates your life, the way you think, the things you do, your desires, what you do vocationally. All of these things flow from who you are in Christ. And so as I think about uh, that and as we move into applying this passage, we have to take that in context and in contrast to what our culture says about sexuality. And we've been kind of building this case for a few weeks now. But our our culture says this, that sexuality and sexual expression is the highest form of being you. It is your truest self. Who you are sexually is your truest self. And Jesus, in this passage, though, goes right against that. So much so that he says, look, there is even a right and proper and beautiful way to abstain from sexual activity. And that person who does that has has a very huge place in the kingdom of God. That Jesus doesn't say sexuality is not a big deal at all. What he says, though, is that you are more than your sexuality. Your sexuality is part of your being, but it's not the whole thing. You are made in the image of God. And to reduce yourself to your sexual desires, experiences, failures, successes, whatever, is to truncate who God says you are. And so tonight we're going to look at this idea of celibacy. Celibacy, uh, singleness, but not aloneness. As we look at this passage, Jesus says this in effect. I'm going to summarize for us. He says, here are your options, sexually speaking, in following me. You can be sexually active in the covenant of a one-man-and-one-woman marriage. That is the consensus of all the biblical authors. If you want to disagree with me about that or talk about that, come and find me after, and we'll set up a time to have coffee. It just is. Okay? I don't care what Matthew Vine says in his book. It is. Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean about that. That's just the starting point. Jesus says, if you want to be sexually active, here is the place for it. And last week we talked about how sexual activity and sexuality is like fine art. And the museum curator and director says, here is how this is to be viewed and handled, only in these strict circumstances, because to do otherwise violates the intrinsic worth of the thing, of the piece of art, of sexuality, and of you. Okay, so there it is. Otherwise, here's your options is to follow Jesus as a single person who is living in celibacy and chastity that means not giving in to your sexual desires and impulses that's it those are your options if you're going to follow Jesus and that's the most unpopular thing I'll say all year and Jesus says that celibacy in this other lifestyle is a calling He doesn't say this is a result or this is like the leftovers. He said this is a calling. And he says that by the very last words right there in the passage. He said, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. He also says, not all can receive this, but those to whom it is given. And he's saying, look, I realize, Pharisees and and to us tonight, I realize that not all of you are going to agree and say, yeah, that's good. He said, certain of you will. And that's a gift. That's a gift from God. It's not the leftovers. The Apostle Paul confirms this idea in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says this I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What's Paul saying? How can he say, it's, it's good to be like I am? Because Paul was someone who was living thoroughly and fully for the kingdom of God. He went on all these missionary journeys because guess what? He didn't have to talk to his wife about it. He didn't have to talk about childcare. He's like, peace, I'm out. I'm going to Galatia. I'm going to Rome. I'm going to these other names that I don't even know how to say. I'm going. I can. God's calling me to go. He's saying, that's a beautiful thing. And some of you will be gifted in that way, and God is going to call you to a life of singleness so that you can follow Him in an unrestrained and an unrestricted way that will not be possible if you get married. But I'm going to talk about this second... Uh, the second category that Jesus talks about, which is the person who is single. So marriage is great, yes, but let's focus in on this, the single and celibate person. And the three categories that we have here are the, there are those who are eunuchs who have been so from birth, those who are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and thirdly, those who are choosing and making, making themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. First one right there, the eunuchs who have been so from birth. This means... That there are some people who are born this way. What is this way? There are some people who are born and who will never enter into sexual activity. And Jesus is talking about this in the context of following him. And so let's dr- dr- drill down just a little deeper. This means, if someone's born this way, that this means that either there's something physically with them that renders them unable to enter into sexual activity. So maybe they have uh, intersexual genitalia. They have both female and male parts. Maybe they have no genitalia. That's possible. Maybe they have have desires or they have a sexual orientation. Or maybe even their own gender experience means that if they are to follow Jesus, then he is saying, you are going to live a life of following me richly and fully but you will not do so, you will not enter into sexual activity in this life. I have a number of friends, um, and I've also read widely and extensively on this and heard from many people who this is their experience. They have uh, they experience same-sex attraction. They're confused about their own gender identity. Um, and they say, I, I didn't ask for this. I don't know where it came from. I wasn't sexually abused. This just is the way that I am. It's as far back as I can remember. These have been my desires. This has been my experience. There's an author uh, who I've read uh, a lot from on this subject named Mark Yarhouse, and he's a psychologist, uh, very well respected in the academic community. And he has a book called Understanding Gender Dysphoria, uh, dysphoria is just a word which means uh, confusion, but dysphoria is more of a medical term, and so we'll use that. And he talks about same sex attractions and attractiveness and gender dysphoria or confusion falling somewhere along the spectrum for everyone. And so the spectrum may be over here of, uh, you know, at the farthest extreme, never, to over here always. And he says, for most people, um, at not. Most people, but for people who experience this, it's not usually at the polar opposites of the spectrum. He said some people are like, you know, about thirty percent of the time I'm attracted to guys, and the other seventy I'm attracted to women, or vice versa, or seventy, or whatever. He's saying not everyone is the same on this. Okay, so there is an understood, at least in the medical community, and there's no reason to think not biblically. That people are, have different experiences in terms of their sexuality and what they think is the way they are. Some have been born this way, Jesus says. And I'm also going to say this, that if someone tells you that they know the source and the origin of these attractions and desires and all this stuff, if they say they know for certain, they're lying to you. They're just lying to you. And that's not just on my testimony, that's medical testimony, that's researchers, that's psychologists, that's everyone. Look, guys, we just don't know. So we have to handle this with with sensitivity and humility. Jesus is giving a category for those who, for whatever reason, won't fit into sexually normative. I'm not saying normal, I'm saying normative categories. So how should we think about this? Well, this situation is very similar to actually another situation that Jesus encounters in John chapter 9. And in that story, Jesus passes by a man who has been uh, blind from birth. And after he does, his disciples ask him and say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered them and said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be manifest and displayed in him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, look, this man was born blind. That is clearly part of living in a fallen world. In glory, when Jesus comes and brings his kingdom in its fullness, there will be no more death, no more sadness, no more blindness, no more confused sexuality, no more inordinate sexual desires, no more sexual brokenness. There will be nothing that harms us and makes this life difficult and plagues us. And Jesus is saying, this blindness was not necessarily the product of this man's sin or his mother's sin or his dad's sin or something. This man is this way because I'm going to display my glory in his life. And, friends, we need to begin to carve out a category for either you, yourself, if you experience these desires and these uh, gender confusion, dysphoria stuff, or for your friends. Because the message that most often you have felt or that they have heard is this. Yeah, the church is for heterosexually normative people who will most likely get married one day and have a few kids and who will look like their lives are pretty together. So if you if you kind of have an experience that's different from that, whether it's singleness because you weren't pursued for marriage or whether it's same-sex attraction and, and therefore following Jesus, you, you aren't going to get married. If the church is saying, yeah, we, we aren't going to really have you, then we have to begin to, to carve out a space and say, But Jesus would have you. Jesus would say, you can follow me and and I'm going to display my glory through you. I'm going to use your situation in life to bring about tremendous fruit, to display my works through you, how good that I am. Even so much that that you can abstain from sexual activity and you can be a witness to the world that, hey, you have a great life and you're not having sex. And that's the most countercultural thing you could do right now. Because, again, our culture is saying the most important fundamental thing about you is your sexual expression. And, friends, I have to say, that is a Freudian concept. That is not a biblical concept. You are not less than your sexuality, but you are so much more. Your identity is never meant to be found in your sexuality through applying the truths of that passage in John chapter 9 to this passage here, Jesus, again, I'm going to paraphrase is saying, look, some of you are the way you are because God the Father is going to show the world through you that if you have Him, you have enough. You don't need sex or marriage to live a full human life, but you do need Jesus. So if this describes you, You need to know that you are not some sort of cosmic mistake. You really do. You need to know that if you experience uh, disordered desires or non gender normative uh, uh, feelings, you are not somehow second class and left over in God's kingdom. You are not a mistake. The reality is is that the fall at the very beginning of history with Adam and Eve, it affects all of us. It affects all of us. And it affects all of us in different ways. Some of us, it's going to affect very, very much so in the area of of sexuality and disordered desires, whether those disordered desires are heterosexual or homosexual. Some of us, it's going to affect us And we're going to have these disordered longings for wealth. Some of us are going to have these disordered desires for for power and for control over others. Some of us are going to have these disordered desires and, and seek the approval of others. And most of us will have a mix of all of them. The fall is affecting everyone and everything around us. And nobody is immune from that. We all bring our disorderedness to Jesus and say, have mercy on me and help me. I need your grace, I need your forgiveness, I need your reordering power. So there's more to you than your sexuality, your attractions, your perversions, your successes or failures. And Jesus comes to redeem all of us by offering us forgiveness for all of our sin. And He offers His Holy Spirit to live in us so that we can bring all of our lives increasingly into line with Him. The goal, the goal of becoming a Christian is not to be heterosexual. It is to be holy. And Jesus is going to work that out in your life if you choose to follow him in a way that I, don't, I can't even tell you what it's going to look like. But that's what he is going to do in you. Uh, Dr. Butterfield, who's coming here in a few weeks, she says this, my new affection was not heterosexuality but Jesus I was converted not out of homosexuality, but out of unbelief. Jesus asks all of His followers to take up their cross and follow Him. And the cross He might ask you to bear in this life might be one of tremendous sexual struggle. Are you ready for that? If this doesn't describe you, but you know people who it does describe, and if they're seeking to live sexually faithful lives, and take up their crosses and their burdens and follow Jesus, they need two things from you. And this is going to be most of us in the room. They need two things from you. They need both your encouragement and telling them that you are for them. They need your life. They need your time. They need your friendship. They need the intimacy of your relationship as a friend. They need your encouragement. The second thing they need from you is to hear how you, if all this stuff that I'm saying is true, they need to hear how you, as someone who has heterosexual desires, they need to hear how you are struggling to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And they need to hear how Jesus is causing... Use some difficulty. They don't need to sit there and think that they're the only ones who are struggling in this area. They need to know that we all bring our messed up sexuality to Jesus. And he says, I'm going to walk with you through that. There's a a professor at Wheaton named Julie Rogers who herself experiences same-sex attraction. and She lives in celibacy. And she says, I tried years and years and years to pray the gay away and it didn't work. She says in the midst of that, I still believe that Jesus' call to celibacy is for my flourishing. Do you hear what she's saying? That that I believe that this way that I am, I don't know how it is or why it is, but I believe that God has made me this way because He, He wants something beautiful to be done in and through me. It's for my flourishing. And I'm certain she would say for the flourishing of the people around me. She continues by saying, so please help us. Please help us give our love away. Involve us with your children. Invite us over to dinner. We have a lot of love to give. Sex isn't needed, but intimacy is. Friends, this, this hit me in a huge way last year when I was talking to a very good friend of mine. And he said across from the lunch table And after knowing him for years, he finally looked at me and said, I'm gay. I'm attracted to men. And I said, okay. And through the course of that conversation, what began to happen in me as I was talking with him about the reality of following Jesus uh, in that place is I realized that if I'm, as a minister and as a Christian and as a friend to this guy, if I'm going to say, okay, following Jesus means that you don't get access to sexual activity. If I'm going to sit there and and do that, right, give him like the Heisman and say, "You, you can't do that, then I can't also, with the other hand, be saying, ooh, that's gross. If I do that, the problem is not with him, it's with me. And friends, to the degree that that is your response to people who are in this place, if you're saying, Ugh, it just makes my skin crawl. It's just gross to think about. If that is you, you need to repent. And you need to ask Jesus to help you. Because there is a darkness in your heart which far supersedes that which is in theirs. Friends, if we're going to say that this is the way the Bible is talking about sexuality, we have to be honest with people about what we think is best for them, what Jesus is calling them to and then we have to welcome them in with both arms and say, and I'm going to be right here with you and I'm going to love you and you can come over to my house and you can come play with my kids if that happens for me one day. You can, you can be near to me because we cannot deny them intimacy. They are made in the image of God. They need it just like you and I do. The second category here is for people, eunuchs, who have been made eunuchs by men. What does this mean? This is going to be much quicker, and the next one will be even quicker than that. Jesus is saying that there are people who will be called to live celibate lives and not take part in sexual activity. And in this category, we're going to put those people who are unmarried, but maybe who want to be. Maybe uh, you're never pursued in that way, though you might want to be. Uh, We might also put people in this category who uh, have been divorced and therefore left in an unmarried state. Um, whether for a little bit of time or for a long time. Uh, There are also going to be those, and likely some in this room, who have had something traumatic done to them, sexually speaking. That you've been abused, or they've been abused, or they've been emotionally abused in this way, or physically abused, sexually abused, whatever it is, and it's going to leave, leave you in a place where you, you're so distressed and so confused and so hurt that you can't imagine entering into a healthy sexual marriage and, and relationship. So there are some people who this is the case because of what's happened around them by others. And some of you find yourself here right now, and more of you probably will find yourself in this category as your life unfolds. And the message to you would be the same, that Jesus can meet you in that place and he can fill you. Because, as we've said again, said, and we're going to keep saying it, your sexuality is not the primary and most fundamental thing about you. Your being made in the image of God is. And that means there, are, there is so much more to you than your sexual identity and your sexual expression. I would venture to say that if this is you, and you end up in this category or you're in this category right now, you will probably really battle and struggle with wondering if God is good. Because you're going to be asking this question, God, why did you allow that to happen to me? You could have stopped that. You're you're powerful. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And that's going to be a lingering question for some of you for the rest of your lives. And it's not a simple answer because we don't always get that answer on this side of glory. And so my strongest encouragement for those of you who find yourself in this place right now or who will over the course of your life, my strongest encouragement to you is this. Do not try to live in this place alone. Bring others into this struggle with you because there are going to be Ways that you will need to be filled and met in the midst of that sadness and brokenness which you simply can't deal with on your own. You don't have the resources to do that. And that's not a slam on you. It's the reality of the situation. You need people to come around you and be strong for you. Lastly here, there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. To that previous point, look, There's so much more to be said there. I don't want to brush past it and think that it's just a small thing. The potential for that to be a devastating part of our lives is massive. So again, if that's you, um, please talk to someone, me or Emily or Joey or a pastor or a trusted friend or a counselor or someone, please. So lastly, uh, those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of kingdom. There will be people who choose celibacy who weren't born this way and weren't necessarily made this way by others, but who willingly enter into this so they can fully devote themselves to King Jesus and the cause of His kingdom. And this is what Paul's saying, as I mentioned, when he says, I wish you were as, as I am, that each of you has your own gift in God. He saw his gifting as a, as a wonderful way to advance the kingdom and to tell others about the beauty of God and the glory of, of being known by Him and being restored to relationship with Him through Christ. Now, now for some of you, you're thinking, no way. (laughs) I would never do that. And, And that probably says that you might not have the gift of singleness. But think about this for just a second. What would it be like to come to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? I have everything I need in you. Here's my life. Here's my sexuality. Here's my future You get it. You're the good Lord who gave your life for me. You can have all of me. I can trust myself to you. Maybe that's you. Maybe your circumstance has you saying, you know what, I do. I want to go drill water wells in Africa with this petroleum engineering degree that's worthless right now. I want to go drill water wells over there. Boom. (coughs) And go bring water to a village so they can start living. I don't need to make $300,000 a year. I can go give it all up for the sake of you, Jesus. Statistically speaking, this category we're talking about tonight will not be most of our paths. It won't, statistically speaking. This won't be the gift that God gives us, but again, I'm just going to say, if you have friends who have received this gift and this calling, please, 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 Help them see it as a gift from Jesus. Do not let them think that it's a curse. And walk with them. I implore you, I beg you, walk with them through the course of their life and help them unwrap that gift. Because they're going to need people to come with them. And if this is you, you're going to need people to come alongside you. Because in their absence, you're going to start to think this gift is a curse. And it's not. Jesus is giving these commands about being a eunuch to a community of people. There's people gathered around him. And in his kingdom, sexual chastity and celibacy are honored, as is marriage. But absolutely nowhere in the Bible does it say that it is good to be alone. People can live without sex, but they cannot live without friends. We need others. So if you're a Christian tonight, would you consider how you love and welcome folks that Jesus is speaking about in this passage? Would you show the same deference and kindness toward them that Jesus does? And if Jesus is speaking to you tonight in this passage, I want you to hear from me as a, as a pastor on behalf of the church. I want you to hear me say that I am sorry. Sorry. And we collectively are sorry. We have not done this well. Please forgive us. If that is you, I really do want to talk to you because I have so much to learn. And I'm guessing your friends do too. We don't hate you. We're sorry that you've heard that message from us collectively. You have a gift from Jesus. We want to help you unpack that and unwrap it. Let me wrap up by reading a passage from Isaiah. This passage was written 600 years before Jesus came. It says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from His people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree, for thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Maybe tonight you're like this foreigner, this eunuch, who in whatever sexual stuff has happened to you or you're doing or you've done, you're thinking, surely surely the Lord will separate me from His people. Surely I've done too much. Surely I've gone too far. If that's you, you I want the last line of that to be branded on your heart as you walk away from here tonight. The Lord says, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Friends, what what Isaiah is saying and what Jesus makes explicitly clear in our passage is that in the gospel, you are offered a new and everlasting name. A fixed identity that transcends your sexuality as a whole. So whether you have homosexual or heterosexual desires, whether you are or will be a eunuch or married, whether you've been sexually prudent or sexually promiscuous, Jesus is offering you a new way to be you, which has less to do with who you are and what you've done, and it has everything to do with who he is and what he has done for you on the cross and in his resurrection. He's saying the old you can die, the new you can come to life, and I will give you a life that you've never dreamed of. That is what is being held out to you in the gospel. It is not a perfect life in this life. What's being held out to you in the gospel is a God who loves you and who forgives you and promises that He will be with you. And that's an invitation to come to Him tonight. This is His grace for you. Would you receive it? Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would apply the truths of the gospel deep into our heart. Lord, let all of us know that in Christ we have an everlasting name that will never be cut off. No matter what we've done, no matter what we do, in Christ we are offered a new identity. Make that real for us tonight, even right now. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, Amen.